This is Jackets Debrief, a show about the Columbus Blue Jackets, the National Hockey League, and part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to the show this week, everyone. I am excited for this one. Uh, We're going to have some great goalie talk, so I'm really excited about that uh, with the ever-incredible Cat Silverman, so I'm Really, I'm hyped up for that. Uh, I, I thought I was as hyped as I could be for this week's show. But then I saw this week's beer of the week, which I am I'm, I'm stunned at, at what I am about to show you, folks. It is BrewDog's Lost Lager. Now, this is epic. Lager is one hell of a beer if you make it right. Lost Lager takes back the ground lost over decades by the larger monoliths. This is a dry-hopped pilsner made with classic German Saphir hops, giving vibrant citrus and stone fruit notes, built from Bavarian yeast that has a crisp, clean taste. This is, lo- lo- this is lager like it was, like it should be, like it will be. Lager is back. That's awesome. After that, they got a hop in there called Magnum. This is, this is I'm excited. Uh, it's a 4.7% uh, alcohol dry-hopped pilsner. And then to uh, take care of it and to really take it into that next stratosphere of greatness, it has a unicorn on the can, which maybe you can see from the picture there. I'm, I'm holding up here. There's a unicorn on that. I'm looking forward to this beer. I'm fairly confident I do beer of the week just so I have an excuse to talk about beer before I talk about hockey um, or to have a beer while I talk about hockey. Uh, but we're going to pour it. That looks very light. Looks very golden. Look at that bad boy. Very golden beer. A little bit of head on it. About a about a finger's worth of head. Let's give this bad boy a try. Mm, that's good. And it's about the citrus in it. You can definitely taste that. Not a whole lot of, of aroma to it. Um, you can tell a little bit of the sweetness in that, a little bit of the, that, like they said, there was the that citrusiness in the hops there. Uh, you can pick up that a little bit in the scent. I think you would be forgiven if when you picked this up originally, you thought you were drinking a, a, a normal beer, some kind of, some kind of, you know, at first, maybe if you smelled it, you might just be like, oh, there's just some regular beer if you weren't paying attention. And then take a drink and it's a really good, solid, uh, just kind of regular, you know, lager type beer, an easy drinking beer that's just delicious. Love it. Love it. It's wonderful. It's uh, it's a good beer. I, I enjoy that quite a bit. So, um. Not a lot of news this week. Last week, I mean, things were getting back to the normal as far as the COVID stuff, uh, at least for the players for the Blue Jackets. Obviously, for the world, it's nowhere near normal. But um, where we are um, now, we've got one good piece of news coming out. Seems to be we've got kind of universal uh, agreement from all the insider, uh, smart insider mans out there that the season is starting in mid-January which is still putting it ahead of what I always said. The thing I always said and what I think everybody would be better off kind of getting in your head is, as a uh, as a way to think about this is 
if we are playing hockey by Valentine's Day, be be happy. Just have the expectation there's going to be delays. There's going to be weird things. If we're having games by Valentine's Day, I'll be happy. If we're getting them by January 13th to 15th, as we're hearing right now, that'd be great. Uh, 52 to 56 game season. Apparently, there's some teams that want to push for 60. That may not be easy because, again, they're trying to end the season by the end of uh, by the beginning of July or by now I'm hearing conflicting things. I'm hearing some people who say they want it done by July 1st. I, I think what's probably happening is there is this consensus that they want to have uh, the season. They want to be able to schedule it over by July 1st because that gives them a couple weeks of wiggle room if there's a problem. Because imagine if we hit an Eastern conference final or a Western conference final or a Stanley cup final and half one of the teams gets COVID. And has to go into protocols. Do you really want a season ending that way? I wouldn't. I mean, I would prefer, even if you're the team that's got the other one on the rope, say you're up 3 nothing, and you got to beat them in a game four, and all of a sudden half their team gets COVID. As a fan, as a neutral third person on that, I would want to see this season ended with just good old regular, you know, being able to... Uh, uh, just end the you know you'd want them to to finish it the right way you'd want them to finish it as much as possible full strength teams now this is going to be a lot like last season where is it going to be normal no but will the team who wins the Stanley Cup still be considered a legitimate Stanley Cup champion in my mind yes in my mind there is no uh, I, I don't see any kind of issue with that in my mind. I don't see anything being a uh, a problem there. So that would be my take on it uh, at this point as far as the uh, as far as as far as it goes. I'd like to see it happen there. So so we'll see what happens with it. Uh, there's still the discussion about what do we do with escrow and uh, what do we do with all of that. Um, I, I saw some report today that said the owners were asking for 50% escrow. I don't think that's on the table at all. It wasn't a verified source or anything. It was just somebody talking. I don't think that's where we're at at all. I think we are specifically at just trying to work it out. I think everybody knows it's in their best interest for this to happen. Um, it's just a question of when will it happen? Uh, when will that decision be made? And, and who's going to agree to this all going down the way it needs to. But it's a good week um, here in my world. Hopefully it's a good week in yours. The Browns have won, um, which is just the team's nine and three. It's stunning. Uh, it's, it's very much as a Browns fan. It has, it's very much that same feeling as when the blue jackets started to turn it around and started to be a competing team where you say what's happened, what's going on. And you just, you can't get over how amazing it is. Um, so it's I, I'm it's a good overall time there. I mean, obviously with with all the other stuff going on in the world, we're kind of sports is sports is meant to be that escape uh, a little bit anyway. I mean, obviously there's a lot of other stuff going on that you can't even escape in sports because of everything else. But it's it's an exciting time to be uh, an Ohio sports fan in my mind. I mean, as as a Browns fan, the team is finally good. As a Blue Jackets fan, we're heading into a season that is going to be. I think things project well for them. Um, I'm pretty excited for what we're going to see out of this season. 
uh, as far as the, the the Blue Jackets go, because I really think they're a team that got got better uh, over the course of this most recent season there. Um, and one guy who we've we've talked with on the show before, um, we've discussed some things. Uh, Jay Fresh Hockey, I'm I'm pulling him up here, but he did using his uh, tools. Which if you go be a, a Patreon with him, uh, he's got where you can see all these cool tools. Uh, be able to pull up, uh, kind of essentially you can mess with a a uh, players um, on a roster like where they'd play, where they'd slot in first, second, third, fourth lines, all that, and that kind of has to do with some playing time things. And it uses it, it uses their WAR um, number, so like wins above replacement, to give you an idea of how many points the team would finish with in a rate in a in a season. And he did this with these adjusted uh, with these adjusted conferences or the adjusted divisions that we're going to be seeing for this season. And this is this is speculative because obviously we don't know what these new divisions are going to be. Uh, but he did this with those and. It was a good, uh, it was it was a good uh, good setup for Blue Jackets fans there, because he was projecting the Blue Jackets to finish at 103 points. I think there's kind of an assumption in this about how the playoffs are going to be set up that I don't know if it'll hold, because as you can see, he's got five teams and whatever we're calling the division the Blue Jackets are in, kind of a weird centralish division. Um, there's only got three teams in what's kind of a strange Atlantic type division. But the reason that I, what I expect to see is because there's that weird NHL owners are really uh, set up with wanting to make sure everything feels fair. And nothing's ever truly fair. We all know that. But there is this sense of, if the Canadian division isn't going to be playing cross division games, and if four teams from the Canadian division are going to make the playoffs no matter what, I think you're going to get a sense that the other three divisions are going to have a top four teams in the division are are there no matter what. Um, one moment here. Yeah, I think there's going to be this sense of the Blue Jack, you know, it, you know, because if you're in this this hypothetical Eastern Division with Boston, Washington, Carolina, Philadelphia, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, and Jersey Devils, and Buffalo, if if all you play is teams in your own division, and the top three make it, but not the top four, and then you go over to this Easternish Division or Centralish, I forget what I called it. Of uh, Tampa Bay, St. Louis, Blue Jackets, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Florida, Chicago, Detroit, and the top five make it there because they had a higher uh, point number. You could almost imagine the arguments in the room being things about would it be po- you know oh well in this in this centralish division uh, you have Detroit and Chicago, two teams that are you know kind of openly saying yes we're rebuilding teams. So the other teams in the division can rack up points against those teams. Whereas in the Easternist division we're looking at here, other than maybe Buffalo, people are saying that, but I mean, Buffalo just signed Taylor Hall. So it's really hard to say that they're trying, that they're like right at the beginning of a rebuild or in the heart of a rebuild. 
New Jersey's had some good picks, and if New Jersey's healthy, they might be a decent team. So I, I don't see that being a I, I see there this being a year where somebody gets real where all the divisions will have an equal number of teams in the playoffs, and somebody gets really mad because a fifth place team in one division has five or six more points than a, a fourth place team in another division. But when you're in a world where these teams are all just when you're in a world where all these teams are just about uh, when you're in a world where all the, where all the games are played in a singular division, the wild card format doesn't really work well as far as competitive balance. Um, it's just not, not a good way to set it up. I mean, it's something that we're seeing if you're football fans and you watch the NFL, something we're probably going to see in the NFL this year um, is uh, discussion about if if the NFC East team should make it, but when you schedule things in such a way where you only play teams in your own division, that's kind of what you're you're stuck doing is is having to at least one playoff team set set out of that. So uh, we're gonna hit a, a quick moment uh, for our uh, for a spot for our sister show here on the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll be back with our guest, and I'm I'm so excited about that conversation here. <laughs> Hello and welcome. My name is Brad Lieb. I am a former professional hockey player and this is the Life After Hockey podcast. This is the place where I'll be interviewing former players and exploring their life after hockey journeys, including their successes, challenges, and the causes that they are passionate about. So please join me on the Hockey Podcast Network every Saturday for new episodes and follow me on Twitter at Brad M. Lieb for all my podcast updates. And until then, keep going and enjoy your life. Let's go, life after hockey, baby. Woo! <laughs> and now to Jack Debrief, I am super excited to uh, bring on uh, someone who I, I've when I've when I've heard her on shows and different things, I'm always excited about it. Cause always always that weird thing where people say, "Oh, they're they're voodoo." Nobody really understands. But when you hear someone who actually understands it, it's it's really fun to to hear them talk. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Kat Silverman here uh, with us here on Jack's Debrief. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Oh, doing really well. Um, again, I, it's it's a good. Regardless of everything else going on in the world, there there are some fun things to to enjoy about it. I mean, we're in the holidays now, and and you know, it sounds like we're gonna get NHL hockey. We're getting World Junior. There's uh, there's college hockey going on right now, so I'm I'm doing pretty well. Uh, for, for you, starting off before we get into the into the goalie talk, a couple of quick things about the holidays coming up. I wanted to ask you, for you, what is that the best? that best center dish on for Christmas dinner? I mean, are you going to traditional with turkey or ham or do you go something different? Uh, so my family's, uh, we're, we're, we're a delightful half sea situation to, to quote Schitt's Creek. Um, my, <laughs> my dad is Jewish. My mom is Catholic. So we do a very sort of secular Christmas. Uh, so we don't really do the huge Christmas dinner. Um, we sort of combine the best of both worlds, which is uh, being lazy and watching a movie and then also getting the stockings. Uh, <laughs> so 
for me, it's uh, we all get to <laughs> excuse me, we all get to pick one dish that uh, that we really love um, that we get to get to basically chow down on on Christmas. And I always pick uh, I pick uh, crescent rolls, which sounds like such a say like that's that's white bread <laughs> with butter. <laughs> But I usually pick crescent rolls and then something like really, really carb filled as if crescent rolls aren't for my <laughs> dessert. So like a pecan pie or something. And so oh. that's when I think of Christmas, like I don't care about the turkey. I don't care about the ham. That's that's for the birds. Uh, it's it's the carbs for me. So pecan pie, that is that is next level stuff. So that is that is good. Um, all right. So. So getting into it here and before we get into into Blue Jackets goalies specifically um as as someone who who you know knows goaltending I mean what should average hockey fans know when they're watching a game what should they be looking for is there certain behaviors or what what is it that they should know so they can when they're watching a game they're kind of more intelligently reading what's going on with the goalie uh you know that's that's tough it's a uh... They should watch for it. Everybody has their preference for, you know, what they think makes a goaltender look like they're in control. Um, I always say if your goaltender's actually holding onto the puck, um, that's usually a pretty good sign. You know, if they're, if they're catching the puck, if they're, you know, letting it come directly into their chest and then just sort of holding it there, if they're able to freeze it, um, that's usually a pretty good sign. Um, if the goaltender's not looking super flashy, with the exclusion of Elvis Merzlikens, who I know we're going to get into more <laughs> later, but for the most part, if your goaltender uh, looks like they're having to dive to make the save, you know, if they're catching it with just the tip of their pad and the very edge of their glove or having to knock it away with the, the butt end of their stick, uh, usually that's not a super good sign because it means that the biggest part of their body, the part that's most easily able to absorb that puck, um isn't where it's supposed to be. It means that they're off angle. They're either moving too far away, that they're getting deceived by the shooters, what may have you. Uh, and obviously there are some exceptions, some guys who prefer playing to look a little flashier anyway. But for the most part, if it looks like your guys constantly having to make a scorpion save or a diving save, or if they're constantly on their belly, that's usually not a super good thing. Um, so yeah, that, that would be the two big things for me at least. All right. So look, they, they should look like it's not hard. If it looks easy, yeah. that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. <laughs> um, now, at this point, we, we're getting into a there's a whole new world of goalie stats that have come out in the last few years as far as people trying to really understand things because just wins and losses really doesn't tell the right story. Is there any stat that stands out to you as far as one that you think actually helps people understand goalies better or who's good and who's not or? Uh, that's, that's once again, that's super tough. Cause, um, I, I know I was talking about this a little earlier in the week, uh, on a, on another podcast, um, goalie stats right now aren't, they just aren't as accurate as they could be. Um, a lot of the numbers that really tell you what a goaltender is doing right and what they're doing wrong. You know, those, those real deep dives, uh, for goaltenders, so much of what happens to them is out of their control. So a lot of them have to be very tracking based, you know, the, the high danger save percentage, their, their rebound save percentage, how many shots they're stopping through screens or stuff, or, you know, that's, that's all data that really has to come from tracked information. You know, you have to have somebody manually do it because we don't have 
the tracking, the puck tracking technology at ice level in every arena. We don't use it in most games. So a lot of it's manual tracking. And unfortunately, uh, from even from analytics company to analytics company, that tracking data ends up looking different. So it's kind of hard to get the most accurate picture on goalies right now from numbers just because all, all the data is a little, a little skewy. Um, I know I like looking at their consistency because at the very least you can look at how they're doing against themselves from year to year. Stuff like quality start percentage, um, how many really bad starts they're making, looking at their goals saved above average just to see sort of what, what range they're falling in if their quality start percentage is down below 50% most years, even if their safe percentage numbers or their wins and losses are all over the place. Uh, chances are they're not doing super well. Conversely, if their quality start percentage is over 50%, over 60%, uh, they're probably doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, looking at the high danger save percentage, stuff like that, that can help. But a lot of that data is based on, especially from sites like Natural Stat Trick, uh, Evolving Hockey, based on what the NHL is tracking for us, which uh, as we know from even looking at some, even just basic shot counts for players, uh, the data is not always, not always where it should be. So. So right now, none of the above, really. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, so getting into the Blue Jackets one specifically, because this this is what I'm excited about. Jonas versus Elvis. And I I mean, obviously right now, you know, if you want to if you have two good goalies, that's a great problem to have. Uh, just what do you think of them? We'll just go there. Uh, so so I love them. I think they're great. I think the Blue Jackets have a pretty solid prospect pool and young player pool when it comes to goaltending. I know um for elite prospects, we were doing a, a dive into each team's prospect pool and uh, got a message from the editor, J.D. Burke, saying, hey, can you give me your scouting reports and player grades on uh, Vanny Vavalainen, uh, Daniel Tarasov, and Peter Peter Tome? Um, and I said, why do you need three goalies? You only have 15 players. And he was like, because they have a really good goalie depth system and they don't have don't have nearly as much prospect depth anywhere else. So... I think the two guys at the top are great. Um, I was a little pleasantly surprised by uh, by Corpus Allo last year. He wasn't quite what I thought he was going to be. I, I really thought that Elvis would end up taking the reins and running with them. And it really ended up looking like more of a, a well-balanced tandem situation there, which I don't think anybody can complain about. But we've seen Elvis doing great things over in over in Switzerland for a while. I came over here, immediately hit the ground running in the NHL. Um, Eunice really, really stepped up. I thought his numbers were just okay behind Bobrovsky in the years prior. Didn't really know if he was ready for full-time NHL work. Uh, and he, he proved me wrong in a good way. So I think, I think they're great. <laughs> so if you were, if you were, you know, in that, the, 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 front office there for the blue jackets. Cause it, it's at a, a constant discussion amongst fans anymore is <laughs> they're going to have to decide between one of these guys. If, if you were making the case on everything, you know, today, which way would you go with it? Uh, so for the record, I don't think they have to go one way or another. Um, I think we look at teams like a, 
like Boston, like Dallas, um, more and more teams are running with a true tandem where both guys are playing 40 something games. Uh, they really, until one of those guys hits UFA, um, I don't think they necessarily need to pick one or the other. From what we've seen right now, if they absolutely had to keep one over the other, I think you keep Elvis because you have other quality prospects coming up behind who maybe don't have the same the same star power that Elvis does, which is kind of where I, I consider uh, Eunice there. Um, but but that's a tough one because I, I really ideally, I think they're both in that RFA status right now. They're both cost controlled. I don't know why you'd want to deal one of them out as long as you can afford both of them. It's as we saw last year, it, it behooves you to have two quality starting goaltenders. Almost every team that's won over the last couple of years with the exclusion of Tampa Bay and uh, Andre Vasilevsky there, who's who's kind of a, a robot. Um, most teams have had a true tandem system to give their guys the rest that they need to really play play the way they should. So, all right. So it, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Definitely. I mean, if if you can keep two good ones, it <laughs> may it may be better for the team to just wait and wait until one of those prospects is to the point of okay. Now he can come up to the NHL before you necessarily get rid of one of them. I mean, until you kind of have to make that choice. Uh, I mean, I've heard this a lot of other places. Are you kind of on board with the idea, too, that we're seeing kind of that evolution of the position where less teams are going to have that number one guy, the star goalie, and more have these tandem situations where you've got a couple who can get you wins and try and just consistently be good for you? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the position has evolved so much from a technical standpoint where you have to be 100% every night. Uh, it's it's not the 80s anymore, right? We can't have guys posting an 840 save percentage being their <laughs> team's clear number one in a playoff spot. Um, you know, the difference between an okay guy and a really good guy is maybe a tenth of a percentage there at most. You have just absurdly close margins between okay and good and great. And so I think between that and how talented the shooters have become, they're really doing a good job of reading goaltenders. A lot of them have started studying film and really, really doing their homework to, to pick up trends and then doing their homework in terms of learning how to, how to sort of uh, maneuver around those trends for the goalies. Um, It's getting trickier and trickier and it's almost becoming like baseball to me where, you know, if you, you in theory could use the same guy for extended periods of time. They're going to break down pretty quickly. They're not going to be as effective by the end. We see it when guys play back to backs. Um, and we definitely see it when you look at those teams that have consistently had 60 to 70 starts for their goalie every single year. By the time you hit year three or four, those guys are done. Braden Holtby struggled with it until they had Philip Grubauer sort of split with him during their Stanley Cup season. Uh, you saw it with Tuka Rask before they brought Yaroslav Halak back and started to uh, started to split those starts a little bit when he was playing too many. He wasn't doing well. Carey Price doesn't do well with too many. Uh, Frederick Anderson currently hasn't had the support even leading up to this year. And by the time you hit the playoffs, they're just gassed. Um, so I think more and more teams are are sort of cluing into that. Um, right now, I don't think that their pay structures are quite where they should be to truly have that 
that rotation that they need, I think that's that's going to need to see a little bit of a shift to truly see it on more teams. But yeah, I think it, it'll become more and more rare to see a team that has just one guy that they rely on. So, so Sergey Bobrovsky is probably the last one to get the the ten million dollar a year deal, and maybe see more guys in the future <laughs> where you pay two goalies four and five million a year instead. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of what we're seeing, right? We're seeing. The higher end guys are maybe making six million. Uh, a couple of them are like the guys like Carey Price, who didn't get those high end contracts during their prime, are getting it as almost like a thank you after the fact, kind of like baseball does with pitchers sometimes. Uh, but then for the most part, like I think the Coyotes are doing it right now with uh, Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta. They both make about three million per. Um, we see it in Calgary. I think David Riddich probably could stand to make a little more, but then they brought Jacob Markstrom on. He was a top UFA and he's only making 6 million per thing. Most of them are going to be in that 4.5 to 6 million range until we see the salary cap go up. All right. And uh, in that spirit, instead of asking the the goofy normal question of, Oh, who's the best goalies in the league? What teams seem then to have kind of the, in your mind, they're like, okay, these are the teams, you know, maybe two, three teams that like they're set. They have their goalies set up. These are, maybe the the most enviable position situations for goalies in the league right now. Ooh, uh, Boston's number one. And I don't think it's even particularly close. Um, that Rask Halak tandem, I think is lethal. Um, I really think they would have gone a little farther this year. If, uh, if Rask had been able to stay in the bubble. Um, I think the coyotes are, like I said, they have Auntie Ronta and Darcy Kemper. When you looked at, some of the privatized advanced data last year, both of them were in the top 10. Um, that's that's a pretty enviable position to have two guys that are in the top 10. Um, I think if we're looking over the next five years, I'd put Columbus in the conversation because they do have two incredibly good guys. Uh, but after them, I'd say probably Vegas. You have a Hall of Famer and Marc-Andre Fleury, and then you just casually add Robin Lehner to the mix there. And that's that's absurd to me. I think Dallas is doing okay. I don't super trust Ben Bishop's health, but you know they have Anton Hadobin. I I do think though that that Vegas is we're we're not paying nearly enough attention to the fact that they have Flurry, and then they added a Vezina candidate as like his number two. So yeah, it, when that when that trade happened, um, or when the, this <laughs> deal got signed, it seemed like everybody said, "Oh, well, okay, now it's going to be time for Mark and Dave Flurry to walk out the door." And they and kept them seems, both. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Vegas is like, "No, no, we're good. We're going to stand with this. We'll we'll figure out somebody else to trade, and we'll be fine." Um, it's it's crazy. All right, well, I I do want to thank you for coming on tonight, Cat. It was it was great. I I again, I like hearing goalie talk because it's just something that you don't get. It seems like every time you watch a show and the question of goalies comes up, the whole panel or the whole podcast is just like, oh, I don't know. It's a goalie. It's, yeah. It, it, it's like when the Blue Jacks made their first round pick this year and everybody had no idea who it was. So it, <laughs> just this year? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we draft we draft all these crazy people. Then Yarmo's sitting in the back like a Bond villain. He's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> a Finnish Bond villain who sits there, doesn't say anything, and just, he, he knows what he's doing. Exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't care if we know. He no, absolutely he doesn't, doesn't care. care. <laughs> he, he has, he has got one of these, like, he's just low-key, just one of the most confident GMs I think that has ever been <laughs> in this league. 
because he doesn't care that anyone even thinks he knows what he's doing. He's just like, I'm going to do what I want, and he's you'll, very you'll finished. See later. I think huh? I think yeah. he's he's compelling evidence for us having more finished personnel across the league. Coaches, uh, GMs, put them in put them in every role. They're they're fun. Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's a uh, it I'm. I don't think it's become this. I think other people will will hopefully do it, but I think it's that it's that step of, you know, if we get out of the mold of just, you know, old white guy who was an agent or old old guy who was a player <laughs> being a GM, we can have more interesting things happen in the league. I mean, it, you know, a couple of years ago when they did the big deals and got Duchesne at the trade deadline and Dezingle, yeah, they only won one round, but I remember a lot of people saying things like. I hope they go for. I hope they make a long run because I want to see other teams do this stuff in the future. I want to see exciting things happen and people just go for it at times. and And I like that that different perspective and that different kind of view on being a GM that he seems to bring to the table. Well, they pulled the trigger on that. That's that tandem for last year. That I think is that's the most impressive thing I think I've ever seen a GM do. They walked into last season with what thirty five cumulative games played in the NHL. Anywhere in their goaltending depth chart, they had no NHL games played in their AHL lineup. They had, I think, no North American games played in their AHL lineup. And then they had a guy fresh over from Switzerland, and they had a guy who had been a two-year backup. And they said, cool, this will work or it won't. And they, they didn't bring in any reinforcements in it. It panned out. So I, I love seeing that. Yeah, it was it was great. Well, Kat, again, thanks for being on the show. Um, if anyone wants to find and, and hear you more or, or anything else, where do they find that? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Kat M. Silverman. They can occasionally hear me across the hockey podcast network. Uh, I I live with one of the one of the show hosts. Um, <laughs> for those who listen to the Coyotes, one uh, Richie Flores uh, and and Corey Crenshaw. They they have me on occasionally to drink too much wine uh the boston bruins podcast i believe we have come to a verbal agreement that i'll come on to talk about goalies with them about once a month um (laughs) and then they can find me at elite prospects uh talking about goaltenders i do the scouting for them and then they can find me at mckean's hockey so yeah they can find me all over the place (laughs) wonderful thank you very much for coming on the show tonight we we appreciate it thanks so much all right. Well, that was that was that was good. Um, <laughs> it's again goalies being that thing where everybody's just oh I don't know what's going on. It's that's never a good answer. You wanna you wanna find people who are saying okay, well if we don't know what's going on, let's see where we can find out what's going on. And that's that's one of the reasons talking to people like cats great because you you know something you 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 learn a little bit more each time you watch it or you listen to her and you listen to other people who who see things that are different. Um. Yeah, so I'm 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 getting excited, guys. Uh, hopefully, by the next time we talk, which will be uh, this show coming up Wednesday, I'll be doing it Wednesday. You'll hear it if you do the podcast on Thursday, or if you see it live uh, on YouTube, you'll see it Wednesday night. Hopefully, we'll know something about when the NHL is actually going to do something. Please. Until then, I will drink my epic unicorn beer, which has been very good. You can normally tell how good a beer is by how quickly it's disappearing during the show. Um, again, I'm trying to talk to people, so I can't really drink it too fast. But it's more than halfway gone. This will be finished shortly after the show is over, as me and my wife play way too much Planet Coaster. So thank you very much for watching. 
uh, listening, subscribing, anything else. If you listen to us on a platform where you can like and subscribe and rate or whatever, please do so. I know I've never asked for that before, but you know, if you like it, please do. It'd be nice. Um, and thank you very much for, for everything and go jackets. Please subscribe to the show. Follow us on Twitter at jackets debrief. And thank you for listening. <laughs>